Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John 4, 16. <clears throat> 1 John 4, 16. What I want to ask you to do as much as possible is when I cough, if I have to cough a little bit, I'm not trying to confess anything, but I've, I've been coughing most of the morning, so chances are I might cough. Don't sit there and go, oh, pa- poor Pastor Richie, and get real distracted, or that my voice sounds a little husky, thinking, man, he sounds like the Godfather today, or whatever it is you, that the enemy might use to distract you so that we really hear the Word of God, because I really believe that this is a, a wonderful message for every one of us today. In this Reset series, as I've been sharing with you guys, I'm preaching to myself. I'm just letting you all listen in on this. But we've been talking about reset and resetting our lives. It's, reset is about refocusing. It's about, you know, I, I've got my eyes on God. I, I want to do what the Word says. I want to follow. I want to believe His promises. And then I get distracted. A circumstance happens. Or my desire for things of this world happen. Have you noticed that sometimes it's bad things that distract us and sometimes it's good things that distract us? The enemy's constantly trying to distract you. So it's about refocusing. It's about reviewing, remembering things again, reminding ourselves. And so to reset is to remember the things that we're supposed to be doing. Have you noticed that we forget sometimes the things that we're supposed to be doing? We talk about prayer. So man, for about two weeks, we're all praying. Oh God. And then we forget. So we're remembering those things, and in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes and he says this, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them. And it really is a great understanding that we need to be reminded more often than we need to be taught. I heard a guy say one time, the church today has already been educated way beyond its obedience. We, we, we understand, we know what to do, but sometimes we need to be reminded to do those things. So we started out this series by talking about how Jesus is the only way. You're going to have friends, you're going to have uh, different acquaintances and live in a culture that thinks that there are many ways to God, but Jesus is the only way because he is life. And when you try to live your life outside of him, you, you don't discover life. Now, as believers... Followers of Jesus Christ, we can be very unbelieving. Because I talk to a lot of people that through their own self-effort and their own works and their own behaviors, they're trying to get God to do things. And most people don't ever think it's them, they think it's someone else. But we find ourselves doing things and we think that, okay, Jesus has done what he's going to do, now it's my responsibility to do things. To make things happen, I've got I've to fix my situation. I've got to do different things. And we've got to understand that it's a finished work, that it's in Christ Jesus that we walk out and do things. It, it can be a little confusing because they seem both the same. Well, it's about you doing something. No, it's, it's a whole different mindset of me feeling the responsibility to do something. If I do something, I'll fix my marriage Versus understanding that God wants me to have a good marriage, so when I live my life according to the word of God, I have a good marriage. And it's, so it's huge for us to understand that Jesus is the way. If you get focused on you doing something, discipline, all these kinds of things, and all those things are wonderful things, if it's not removed from the fact that Jesus is the way. 
So we started off with understanding that Jesus is the way, and then we started to understand that we have to focus on what it is that we say. We started talking about our tongue. We have to learn how to reset our minds, and we have to guard our hearts. We talked about those over three weeks, about understanding that that what I am saying is setting the direction for my life. If I don't like where my life is, if I don't like where I'm heading in life, I can start saying right things and get myself in the right place or get myself heading the right place. And that I have a mind that is making decisions that needs to be transformed sometimes. In fact, all the time. And then I have a heart that are, is springing from it the, the issues of life. And they're all three working together. The tongue is the unruly one. It's your little brother. Right? Y'all had a little brother. He was the unruly one. You were the rule follower. He's the... My little brother in here? Okay. Okay. The, the tongue is the unruly one. But it's the one that's setting the direction. Have you found yourself just saying something and as you, as you were saying it, you thought, I don't really believe that. Middle of an argument. In the middle of a disagreement or in the middle of just kind of dealing with some challenges of life, you started declaring wrong things and you thought, I don't believe that. The things that you say are, are creating a mindset. They, they start developing a mindset. That's why the Word of God says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that renewing takes place with the Word of God. That literally we speak the Word of God over our lives long enough, it starts transforming wrong thought patterns. I was sharing with the Connect Group on Wednesday night that we literally become brainwashed by the Word of God. Now, the moment I say that, everyone's thinking, oh, let's not do that. But that's exactly what the Word of God does. It, it washes off junk. It does. It washes junk out of our lives so that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And once our minds begin to get renewed and we start making right decisions about life, our heart that we're supposed to guard is the one that is producing, or re- receiving and walking in the life that Christ has produced for us. It, it produces things all over your body. So when, when you start saying wrong things, you start developing a wrong mindset, you start making wrong decisions, you start declaring wrong things over your life, it starts bringing a funk into your heart and suddenly you're dealing with fear, you're dealing with anxiety, you're dealing with depression and you're going, how on earth did I get here? So we got to go back and we got to check our mouth all the time, make sure it's getting in alignment with the Word of God. So now we know that when we're saying things, the way the mindset that we have and our heart are really the indicators of whether we're following after Jesus. See, you can be a follower of Jesus, a Christian going to heaven, but not be following after Jesus. In fact, I would probably venture to say in all of our lives, there's an area of our life where we're not fully following after or not following after Jesus in an area of our life. And we need to surrender that area to life so that we can walk in all that God has for us. He's not withholding it from us, but we've got to walk what according to his word so that we're walking in the abundance of what God has for us. Is this making sense today? All right. So what is the motivation in our lives to keep following after Jesus? I mean, hey, if it's just about fire insurance, I'm done. If it's just about making heaven, I'm done. I gave my life to Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm done. But if you want to walk in all that God has for you, we've got to discover what the motivation needs to be. And the motivation is how perfectly and how unconditionally God loves you. We, well, Pastor Richie, I've got that. I understand that. I'm telling you, we do not fully understand how perfectly God loves us. So I want to look at this verse today in 1 John 4, 16, and it says this, And we have known and believed 
the love that God has for us. Now, how many of you know intellectually God is love and that God loves me? Get your raise your hand. About half of you. Okay, good. Now, how many of you believe that God loves you? You, you believe, you go, and Pastor Richie, I really believe. See, to know is to intellectually understand something. I know that God loves me, and it's important to intellectually know, but believe means that you have faith in that love. So I know God loves me. I make a mistake and blow it. I still intellectually might know that God loves me, but I doubt in my heart whether he's loving me right now. Believe is faith in God's love, that God's love is bigger than your feelings or your behavior. So I believe in God's love so that the moment that I blow it, I don't want to excuse my blowing it, but I want to say, God, thank you that you love me with an everlasting love. God, thank you that you're for me. It's powerful to understand, to know and believe. Do you know that there are women asking their husbands all the time, do you love me? 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 Eve asked Adam that once, and he said, who else? <laughs> now, for those of you that don't get it, there were no other women around, right? Now, see, the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is if the wife does not know and believe that her husband loves her, it won't help her. Which husbands, when they are asking us that, we need to do what we can to show them that we love them, right? But they still have to make a choice to say, I intellectually know this. Therefore, I choose to believe this. I believe that they love me. Because if they don't, they will continue to feel a sense of rejection and low self-esteem. Even though the truth of the matter is, is the husband, you very well may love her. So at the end of the day, it's not just the truth that will set you free. It's when you know and believe the truth that sets you free. So none of us believe that we're unbelievers even as believers, right? We think that I believe it all. I'm, I'm all in. Areas of your life where you think God doesn't love you or you're fearful about God loving you, you need to go back in those areas and say, God, I know intellectually, God, I'm going to believe. I'm going to set my belief to believe that you love me. Again, that verse. And we have known and believed, notice that it's both, the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You've read the scripture about abiding in the vine, abiding in Christ. How do we do that? We abide in his love. Just hang out with him. God, thank you that you love me. And when as I abide in him, he begins to fill me with his love. Verse 17, <clears throat> love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Love's been perfected means that love has been complete in us. God's love is complete love. Our love, sometimes the love that we think God operates in because it's the love we operate in or others operate in is sometimes an incomplete love. It's conditional love. But it's been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Meaning that we know that God is for us. There are some of you that are scared to death to get to heaven because you believe that when you get to heaven, you're like that track that we were handed out as kids, that God's going to sit you down in front of billions of mankind, and we're going to watch the entire part of your life. We're going to watch all the deep, dark, ugly secrets of your life. 
It's not what this word says. It says that we can have boldness in the day of judgment because God is love. What's the word of God say? That God takes all of our sin. He casts it as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. So if there's someone today reminding you of your sin, it's the devil. Now, just because your spouse does that, do not start accusing them of being the devil. But it's the devil that's constantly trying to remind you of your past and wrong behaviors. Because this goes on to say that as he is... So are we in this world. If you've entrusted your life to Christ, never forget that God is assessing you and judging you, not based upon who you are, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, God is assessing you and judging you based on the perfect man that is sitting at the right hand of God. You're literally hidden in Christ Jesus. So when God the Father is looking at you, he's looking at Jesus Christ. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now what we've got to decide is, we've got to decide, is the word of God true or not? I'm making a choice to believe that it's true. That as he is right now, so am I in this world. I hope that really sinks in. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Not one day when we get to heaven and then we've got our glorified bodies and we know how to act right. As he is, so are we in this world. So we shouldn't be asking the question, is God pleased with me? Would God accept me? The real question should be, is Christ accepted before God? Is Christ, is God pleased with Christ? Is God ever condemning Jesus? No, as he is, so are we in this world. Next verse, verse 18. There is no fear in love. There's no fear in the agape love or the love of God. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Catch that again. Fear involves torment. This is what fear is. It's the fear of punishment. It's the fear of being tormented Typically, again, through punishment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect. And that word perfect means, again, complete. Not meaning that you're operating in it all the time. Because we can be perfectly, meaning we understand and receive the complete love of God in one second. And in the next moment, not. That he who has been... But he who is fears has not been made perfect or complete in love. Listen, if you're having fears in your life, fear of the future, fear of not having enough, fear of losing someone, fear of sickness and health, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Y'all, y'all seeing this? And perfect love is not your love and it's not my love. They are definitely imperfect. Perfect love is God's love for us. You know, honestly, when you start getting this, it really wakens you up and you want to jump up and you want to run around, you want to shout hallelujah. It's God's love for us. That perfect love casts out fear. And once you understand how perfectly God loves you, fear has to hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. Right? Anxiety. When you understand how much God loves you, it has to hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. Depression. When you're dealing with depression, it has to hit the road, Jack. 
Don't you come back no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. Are you getting this? So if I'm dealing with fear, I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with concern, because that's what we do as Christians. If I'm dealing with depression, what does it mean? Perfect love. I'm not receiving and believing in and trusting in the perfect love of God. So what does that mean? That I need to crawl through some broken glass for a while? Absolutely not. What it needs to do, it means I need to repent, which means to change my mind. God, thank you, Lord. I don't understand what I'm walking through now, but I know you do. Lord, you've known the beginning from the end. You know everything about me. I know that you love me with an everlasting love. You love me when I'm doing well. You love me when I'm failing. And so, Lord, because of that, my rest, my confidence, my trust is in you. So I am not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be fearful. I don't care who wins the elections. That's not a statement one way or another. You get to choose that because we've got so much faith in, in the leaders of our country that are political, that are not as godly as i like them to be. My confidence is in God. Listen, man, we always win. We are followers of Jesus Christ. To be absent from the body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. Amen. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Now, in the original Greek, the word him is actually not there. It says that we love because he first loved us. In other words, we love him because he first loved us. We love one another because he first loved us. When we get filled with the love of God, we can't help but love God. We can't help but love one another. Are you all picking up what I'm laying down today? See, when I, when I was raised, the, the word of God says that if I love him, I will obey him. So what do we do? We struggle to obey him. We focus on obedience. We focus on trying to do the right thing. We focus on getting up, disciplining ourselves, doing all the right things. Because if I do this, then I'm showing God I love him. When in reality, what God is saying is that when you're filled with the love of God, you can't help but obey him. How, come, how can you say that? Because I know that he's good. I want to obey him. He's God. I'm not. You're not. He understands things that you and I can't even begin to wrap our mind around. So if God is leading me in a direction, if he's talking to me about a certain thing, I want to follow after him. So I'm no longer struggling to be obedient. I am laboring to enter into the rest of God, which is, God, thank you that you love me with an everlasting love. And when I'm loving, when I'm lo he's loving me, I'm loving you. In fact, you know what? Sometimes I have to tell you, sometimes I'm a little grumpy when I'm on the stage. Oh, Ben, I've been in that service before, Pastor Richie. I have sometimes, man, I, I've gotten a little bit into works-oriented during the week. I just have to confess that to you. Thank you, Lord. But let me confess that right now. I'm struggling because, you know what? People aren't doing some things that I think they should be doing. And by golly, I'm just, you wait till Sunday. You guys wait till next week when I got my voice back. Man, oh, yeah. And what ends up happening is I start preaching the law, and it just starts going, you're going... Dang, man, we can't even do, oh, I'm not, shouldn't say that. Darn, we shouldn't even do that, right? And what ends up happening is that you start feeling condemned and you start feeling beat up. But when I start talking to you about the goodness of God, about who, who he is and who you are in Christ Jesus, you start going, that's right. That's right. You know what? I can stop talking like that to my spouse. 
I can stop acting like that towards my fellow employees at work. I can actually operate in the love of God, not because I've just worked up enough love, but because I'm abiding in the vine. I'm connected to the heart of God. His love is continuously being downloaded in my life. And I'm no longer looking at your behaviors. I'm looking at Christ's behavior. And I'm looking at who I am hidden in Christ Jesus. Suddenly I'm filled with the love of God and the love of God begins to be poured out. Can you imagine a community of believers that actually walk that out? I can. We love him because he first loved us. Again, when I first started preaching, and, and again, I can still fall into it, man, I can get in that. The reason why you're having so much trouble in your life is you've got to love God more. And it was horrible. I was, what I was doing is I was preaching the law. See, because the law says that you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we go about diligently, again, trying to discipline ourselves and willpower ourselves to do things that we actually do not possess the ability to do. It's not until God fills me with his love that I actually have that to give away. And what would happen is people would give up on God. I, we've had people come into this church saying, man, I just gave up on serving God because I just couldn't do it. They'd leave churches, not because they were rebellious, but because they never felt like they could measure up. No matter how hard they tried, there's always the message that the week you need to hear an encouraging message, there's a condemning message, and you're thinking, man, I cannot do this. I cannot live for God. And something inside of you switches over, and you go, I'm out. I can't measure up to God. And all the while, it's because I'd never really unveiled the love of God to them. See, I wasn't preaching the new covenant. Listen, and most of my faults in the pulpit, man, again, I guess I'm just confessing some stuff this morning, which, by the way, I've, I've had some faults in the pulpit. Some of you were here the, the time that I was trying to talk about accidentally dialing somebody on the phone, and I didn't want to use the word but, okay, because... I know you're going, man, you're cussing like a sailor today. What's the big deal with butt? Well, I didn't want to really say the word butt, so I thought I'll I'll use the word booty dial, right? And so I said booty call, and what I said was, I said, you know what you do when you accidentally, you make a booty call. And it was just like you, people that had been on their phones texting their friends, suddenly were like, what, what is this? We're really in grace now, right? No, and I made some faults and had some problems in the pulpit. But listen, most of my failures in the pulpit have been not unveiling the loveliness of Jesus. Not really understanding how good God is. That we, there are too many Christians today that think that Christianity is about structure and about rules and about obeying. And if we do all this stuff, listen, I hope you're not like that in your marriage. I hope you're not like that with your kids. Because if you do, I promise you've got a lot of this going on. But if you get in a relationship with someone and you go, you know what, I love you just the way you are. Yeah, we're going to walk through some stuff. We're going to talk about some wrong behaviors that are violating our relationship. But I want you to know I love you. And you, you, get, you get rooted and established in that and understand the love of God. It really begins to change everything. See, people aren't typically rebelling against Jesus. They're rebelling against religion. Because the law can't make anyone perfect. It only condemns. See, for the law to be the law, it has to be inflexible. If it bends, it's no longer the law. We need to understand this. Well, Pastor Richie, I'll have you know that I love God. Really? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all the time? None none of us do. The law is given to show us how incapable we are to measure up to God's standard 
of what love really is so that in turn we can see how God operates because God loves us with all of his heart. He loves us with all of his being and it's found, his love is found in the completed work of Jesus Christ. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, one of you shall betray me. Do y'all remember that? Jesus said, one of you shall betray me. And well, well, Peter looked at John, who's leaning on Jesus' bosom, which is a, is a, a type of, of learning how to depend on God's love. That we need to learn how to rest upon God's love. Do you, do you know that the Bible refers to John as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Now, now, I always thought when I read that growing up that, that Jesus just loved John more than he loved the other disciples. Because J- John is the disciple whom Jesus loves until you discover that's actually only found in John's gospel. John was writing it about himself. Listen, I went to a pastor's conference this past week and there are some pastors that are doing some amazing things. And man, sometimes when you hear what people are doing and they're really amazing, you're kind of like, man, I, I'm not even doing anything. You know what I had to start doing? I started saying, Pastor Richie, you are the pastor that Jesus loves. I had to start declaring it over myself because John, what John was doing is he was setting his heart. Again, your mouth, your mind, and your heart, they're working together all the time. And since I know that Jesus is the only way and I'm pursuing his love, I have to start saying what I know the word of God says about me, not what I feel. It begins to change my mindset so that I can start going, look, man, God's really blessed those people. Praise God. God's blessed me too. And then all of a sudden it begins to settle my heart and suddenly I'm no longer anxious and feel like, well, we've got to be 50 more than we are here this morning, so I've got to really rail on you guys and get you to invite people. Honestly, that's what can happen. But when I'm operating in that mindset of love, when I'm speaking words of love and my heart is set on love, you know it. You can just tell. I mean, think for just a moment about preachers that you've heard that were not filled with love Forgive them right now. And then preachers that you've heard that were filled with love. There's a huge difference. So John was setting his heart on God's love. Proverbs 4 says this, watch over your heart. The moment you start feeling unloving, feel like you need to fix somebody, come on. Need to correct somebody, boy, they need to change. I'm ready to bring the word for them that needs to change. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart, another translation says, for out of it flow the issues of life. So again, you, your mouth, your mind, and your heart are the way that we follow after Jesus. We've got to stop excusing our mouth. Come on, we've got to stop excusing our mindset. Well, my parents did this, so I'm just going to have to be forever like this. We got excusing, well, you know, I'm just a depressed person. This is my personality type. We got to declare what the Word of God says. So if you don't like what's in your heart, I mean, you can tell what's in your heart by listening to what you're saying. Again, your mouth always gives it away. And if you don't like what's in your heart, start speaking the Word of God. The Word becomes like word seed in your heart. It's powerful. Listen. For those of you that still, I don't know about this, all this self-talk and these words, and this just seems so new agey. Listen, you start speaking the word of God over your family. Actually, try this two different days. Um, I, I'm hesitant to say this, but come home one day just real grumpy. Walk in and just complain about everything that you can spot that's wrong in the house. The fact that, you know, they vacuumed, but saw a little place here in the corner that you missed. You know, just complain for a while. Watch the environment of the room. Watch the environment for the evening. Watch the environment. Yeah, we'll stop right there. 
Come home the next night, sit in your garage and say, today, you know what, I'm going to go in and I'm going to speak words of life. I'm going to compliment my kids. I'm going to compliment my wife. And you watch how it changes the atmosphere. The tongue has the power of life and death. Amen. So plant some word seed in your heart. See, Jesus loved all 12 disciples, right? He really did. He loved them intensely. And John knew it, and he was practicing that love that Jesus had for them. Because listen, good things happen to people that know that God loves them. I'm telling you, when you start, because what you're doing is you're operating in faith. Circumstances going crazy, people around you going crazy, doesn't matter. I know that God loves me. Good things happen to people that know that God's loved them. People that know and believe the love that God has for them. When people discover that, you see wonderful things happening in their life. For one thing, their self-confidence begins to grow. Who they are, just the way that God designed them and wired them, because it becomes established on unshakable ground, which is not dependent upon you. What you do for a living, who you know, the, the amount of money that you make, it's always resting on that which is unshakable, God's love for you. You see, at the Last Supper, we see two different types of Christians. One is represented by Peter, who boasts of his love for the Lord. He, in a sense, represents the law, self-effort, trying to do all the things to please God. And so he decides and tells God, I'm, I'm going to show you how much I care. In fact, when, when Jesus says, one of you will betray you, he stands up and says, Lord, if all of these others betray you. Can you imagine being the other 11 disciples, having Peter around all the time? Poor guys, man, if the only time he ever took his foot out of his mouth was to stick his other foot in his mouth. And he's saying to you, if, if all of you guys are going to betray him, you know, I'm going to go on and go with you, Lord. Peter's saying in a sense, you know what, God, no matter what they do, I'm going to follow after you. It's someone depending upon their willpower to love God. But John, who was leaning on Jesus' bosom, is a picture of someone depending upon God's love for him. He represents those who depend on God's love. Peter, again, boasts of his love for the Lord. John boasts of the Lord's love for him. One is under law, one is under grace. Do y'all see that today? Before the night is over, the one that boasted of his love for the Lord is denying Jesus three times. Do you know that Jesus is an overpayment from God for all of our sins? Do you know the man Jesus is an overpayment? In other words, if our payment for sin was a million dollars, he is a billion dollar payment. He's an overpayment for all of our sin. And, and it's amazing when you understand what God really did in sending his son Jesus. Because sometimes it's like a Bible story that we just kind of zip through. This is God's son that paid for our sin. Wrap your mind around that for a second. This is God's son who paid for our sin. That's why God is wanting us to understand how much he loves us. Romans 8 says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You believe that today? If God's for you, who can be against us? Well, how can we know that God is for us? Look at the next verse. <clears throat> he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. This is how much God loves us. He didn't spare his own son. How shall he not with him also freely, say freely, no expense to you and I, give us all things. I have to say it again. Are we going to believe the word of God or are we going to believe what we feel? I love freely. Amen? You all like it when, some, when you go to a restaurant and someone takes care of the bill for you? 
We love freely. The Bible says that freely he will give us all things. That means that if you ask God for a financial breakthrough or this, this thing that, man, all of a sudden a bill came in, you go, oh God, what are we going to do? And you begin to wonder if, or God, if God is going to or if he is not going to show up and meet this situation, you need to take that thought captive. Because if God doesn't help you in the area of finances, when he gave us his son, it means that he would put finances as more important than his son. I'm not saying God's going to give you a million dollars, so don't go, okay, Pastor Richie's saying God can give us a million dollars. And I'm not saying God's going to answer your, your situation the way that you want him to answer it or in the time that you want to answer. But God, to God, his son is more valuable than financial blessings. Are y'all picking up what I'm laying down? So any blessing in your life, marital blessing, health, wholeness, any area, if you're thinking, oh, I don't know if God's going to do this, what you're saying again is that that blessing is above and more important than God's own son. I'm going to preach on this until we get it. So, So God's son, the value is way up here. All of the other amazing things of life, financial breakthrough, marital breakthrough, things going on in our lives, are way down here. If God gave us this, he's going to do this. Necessarily, not necessarily, again, in our timing or the way that we want him to do it, but he's going to do this. That's why I'd like to say again that we can be believers but not be believing. Are y'all hearing me today? You know, again, I've shared, I shared this with you guys multiple times, but when I began talking about the blessings of the Lord financially, it was so hard because I had been indoctrinated with, with a poverty mindset that, you know, God wants us to be broke, that God's concerned about us being greedy. Listen, God doesn't want us to be greedy. He doesn't want us to be focused upon money. But God wants to bless us financially. When you all of a sudden begin to believe that, you start seeing it throughout the word of God. Now again, that doesn't mean that we're all going to drive around in limousines that have hot tubs. That we're all going to live in 12,000 square foot mansions. But what it does mean is as we already are as Americans, we're already blessed. The favor of the Lord is already up on us. You've got clothes here today. Most of you drove your car. Most of you will go home to a, a wonderful home. You're blessed financially. We've got to stop putting limits on God though and say, God, look, I'm I'm not after money. I'm after you. And being after you, I know that you're going to bless me because you gave me your son. Therefore, you're going to take care of everything else. You get to choose and believe it. We have known and we have believed the love that God has for us. I know some of you are struggling in your mind, man. I can see it on your face right now. What you've got to start doing is you've got to decide, do I really believe what the word of God that Pastor Richie is reading today, or do I believe how I feel about something or the way that I was raised? We have known and believed. And again, Romans 8, 32, how shall he not with him, because God sent his son for you and I, also freely give us all things. See, the reason why so many Christians today are making so many bad decisions, they're violating the word of God. And I, I watch people just make wrong choice after wrong choice, and I, I see the way that they're constantly fearful. 
and think that it's a spiritual gift. I see the way that they're constantly worried about stuff, the way that they're, the way they're treating sex and the way that they're, they're taking sex and they're thinking sex is okay because the Big Bang Theory says it's okay. And they're taking sex and saying it's okay when God's word's saying outside of marriage it's not okay. And I'm watching them do this and I'm, and I'm watching it smash their life and I'm watching it wreck their life. And, and my heart's breaking for them. I don't think that they're doing it as followers of Jesus Christ because they're bad or because they're rebellious. They just don't have a sense of how precious and how valuable they are to God. That God loves them with an everlasting love. That God loves them completely. That God loves them unconditionally. And when you understand that, I'm telling you, again, it changes everything. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. God, thank you that you love me. And because I love you now, God, I'm walking in all that you have for me. So it's because they don't have a sense of how precious they are to God. Listen, others may have rejected you. Every one of us today have dealt with some rejection in our life. Your, your earthly father may have rejected you, but your heavenly father loves you perfectly today. He loves you perfectly. So we need to just hit reset when it comes to God's love. And again, I'm probably not telling you anything that most of you haven't heard before. The problem is, is that we've got to go back to the reset button and go, God, thank you that you love me. God, thank you that you love me. We just got to keep hitting it. God, thank you that you love me. Listen, even if you don't believe it at first, if you'll just keep saying it, eventually you will believe it. Eventually you'll understand it. See, we always talk about how we have to give to God and we need to serve God. And listen, giving and serving are important parts, again, of the fruit in our lives, understanding how perfectly God loves us. But the greatest givers and the greatest receivers are the, I mean, and the greatest servers are the greatest receivers. People who have received the love of God are able to give the love of God away. They're able to serve others. The greater your capacity to give and serve is based upon the greater your ability to receive God's love for you. See, that's why the Bible says in Acts 3, Peter's talking to the man that's lame and says, such as I have, I give unto you. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can't give away love if we don't possess love. We can't honestly love God if we don't possess the love that God wants to put into our lives. Listen, if you just begin to possess how much and how deeply God loves you, you'll have an abundance of love to give away. It will, it will never run dry. And you'll begin loving because he first loved you. You won't just know that God loves you, you'll believe that God loves you. And it's in the power of knowing and believing that causes you and I to go out into life, to win, to fight the good fight of faith, and to be victorious in every area of our life. So again, it's not about struggling for victory. It's about walking in the victory that God has already provided to us by abiding in the vine. God, thank you that you love me. In fact, would you just say right now, God, thank you that you love me. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, you're sitting by someone that God loves? Listen, I, I can't encourage you enough to declare that over your life all day long, all week long. Let me just get you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.